a huge chunk of just being an artist or a creative person in general. It's just the drive to keep looking under each rock and finding something new. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a marketer and an artist. And on today's show, we're talking to Robert Minervini. Robert is an amazing artist. He's a painter. He works in a variety of mediums. He spent time at Root Division, the visual arts nonprofit, now celebrating their 15th year anniversary. And on today's show, Robert talks all about his path to becoming a professional artist, his time in Philadelphia at the Tyler School, and then his move to San Francisco to attend the Art Institute here and get his MFA. He talks about his mural work and what's behind his paintings and some of the influences that he's had outside of the painting world, like in film and science fiction. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear the episode. So let's get started with my conversation with Robert Minervini. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Yeah. Uh, hopefully people are not too confused because there, there are two Robs here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think our voices are, are distinct enough. The dynamic duo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> reunited again. Exactly. Two Robs. Meeting at the first time and also reunited. <laughs> exactly. So let's kick things off and talk a little bit about what you're working on right now. You have had an amazing amount of shows for a relatively short career. You're very prolific. And... I'd love to hear about, you know, what you're working on these days, what work is out there showing and, and what has you busy in the studio? Yeah. Um, great. So thanks first off for having me here. And, um, this is a really nice time for me in part because I have several different projects going on. So it's always, it's always good to be busy. I feel like, um, as a, as an artist, it's always either feast or famine. It's, you know, Right now is a very productive, busy time, and I have things to look forward to, which is always really good for productivity as as far as making work, as well as uh, sort of mental health, I'd say, so that you're not panicking so much about what's happening next. Right, right, right. Um, because the life of an artist can be a bit week to week, and you're saying you've got a little bit of a long yeah, calendar absolutely. view. It's, it's nice to have something to look forward to within a, the next year, you know, to think, okay, in a year, this project is going to come to fruition and that I'm working towards it. Um, I think it's always kind of panic inducing when you're wondering, uh, when you're going to get a show next or, right. you know, when's the next opportunity going to come through or, um, or what have you. So, yeah. Um, in the long run, the longest project out, um, I'm very excited about is a, uh, permanent installation at the, uh, SFO airport. Um, that is going to be done in mosaic and glass. It was uh, recently commissioned through the San Francisco Arts Commission, and it's the biggest public art project I've had uh, to date. Wow! Is uh, it there now or it's coming? It'll be coming. So okay, <laughs> it's so very you much. Start, you haven't started the work yet. I haven't started you just the, got it. the major work. I've just gotten the commission part. Congratulations! Of it. Thank you. Yeah. And is that is it permanent or is it? It will be permanent. Wow! Permanent installation. <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I feel very lucky to to have gotten this commission. So wow! Uh, no, it's it's very exciting. It's it's. Um, I'll be working with a, a fabricator in Munich uh, called Franz Meyer. Uh, of Munich, and they are going to uh, execute most of the project uh, in a collaborative kind of way. Um, I designed the piece recently and will be 
shortly making a larger version of that piece to then get translated into uh, glass and mosaic. Um, and it won't be, ideally it, <laughs> ideally, it will be complete in summer 2019 in Terminal 1 is the, is the projected completion date. So it's something I'm looking forward to. I'm starting to work on in part now, um, but it's a longer project. So in some sense, that's, so that's one project that I'm working on. Yeah, I love that your work is going to be in an airport because for listeners who don't, you know, haven't seen your work, they will. After hearing this, everything will be available uh, on the website and obviously uh, everything's on your site. But the work is, it's so, there's so much structure to it. There's, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's architecture, there's a lot of building structure, there's organic elements as well. And just to think that 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 style and whatever mm -hmm. this kind of amalgam of mediums right. would be at the end of it is going to be in in a structure like an airport, I think is very, very cool yeah. to kind of have it, you know, have this house that you usually build inside this larger house. Uh -huh. and those kinds <laughs> of structures will will speak to each other yeah. in different ways. Yeah. And I think I think um, I think and hope that the design will have that. Uh, impact in a way that it reflects my own sort of artistic interests, but ideally is site specifically, you know, in tune with the location in a way that it sort of mimics the type of environment in which you're in already. I mean, yeah. I think airports and parking lots and weird <laughs> urban spaces are sort of my uh, forte in some <laughs> in some way. Well, let's talk. Let's talk <laughs> about your style because you've described it as both dystopian and utopian at times yeah it's kind of yeah. lives in this other world i know you've been inspired by science fiction and horror and film yeah. and all of that when did this kind of style start to emerge for you and this kind of line of thinking mm -hmm. around creating work that would would fall into this category yeah i think you know the work that i'm making now really came out of um coming to san francisco for graduate school uh, and developing whatever it is I'm doing now uh, during that time. Right, which is mostly, it's mostly painting. Right. Sometimes very large scale painting and, mm -hmm. and usually in acrylic. Yeah, usually in acrylic. I've sort of stubbornly stuck with acrylic paint as a medium. Um, over the years, I've developed a rapport relationship with uh, <laughs> hey they're your materials yeah. you're with them all the time you know you gotta you gotta a communicate ship <laughs> a, re a, uh, a relationship with the materials that i think um interestingly both sort of contradicts the subject matter at times and sort of speaks to it um so i really i really think a lot about this aspect of painting and materiality when when i'm working on a both conscious and subconscious level i'm thinking about sort of the plasticity and sort of artificiality of the paint itself as as a medium you know paint acrylic paint is plastic and tends to you know it dries quickly it tends to lay flat it doesn't have the sort of lusciousness and uh traditional uh associations that oil painting has um so a lot of what i'm doing in a way when i'm sort of remixing traditional themes or using sort of naturalistic themes. Uh, what I'm thinking about a little bit in the back of my mind at least is um, that the materiality of the acrylic paint is sort of artificializing with the thing I'm painting. So I'm both trying to kind of depict something but also remark on its sort of fakeness. You know? Yeah, so thinking with the about, actual medium itself. Right, right. And that sort of comes with a broader philosophy of, as, of like painting as a substrate for an imaginative experience. So 
that comes in relationship with film and science fiction as a as an influencer for me. Um, and I think in graduate school, I was still making a lot of, you know, similar uh, approaches. I was doing drawings and paintings and large scale works and um, trying to kind of work out what kind of subject matter I was initially sort of going to work my way, way out of, which was sort of more figurative and then became more about people and places in a broader sense than sort of more depictive of figures, if that makes sense. So, yeah. So, so architecture was never kind of, uh, in, in the wheelhouse of, of, of interest for you. You started right. off from the figure and more narrative. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, I've been asked before if I would, you know, I had an ar architectural background or something of that nature. And in some ways I really had uh, a deep interest in sort of figurative painting, uh, particularly sort of Baroque Italian painting was sort of my deep interest and love early and early as an artist. And, um, found myself really uh, frustrated with the types of feedback I was getting and the types of work that I was making uh, in the figurative realm, in part because I think it was getting kind of caught up in the sort of identity politics of the people that I was working with and that um, in that the sort of conversation that I was having around the paintings were sort of more um, being critiqued or questioned or the dialogue around it was more just about who is this and what are they doing and what's happening right. and all those kind of things. And, and I wanted my work to be narrative, but not so specific to that type of conversation. So I found myself not so literal, not so, not so literal. And I also felt really bogged down by the kind of um, conversations because I really wanted to kind of get into this sort of broader dialogue about painting in a way that I, I don't, I don't really know if I have the words to describe it better than that. It's sort of like, um, we had to unpack all these things about the figure to the figure or figures that I was painting before we could even start talking about the painting as a painting. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> so you thought, well, let me just <laughs> remove that. I, stuff. I found myself removing those figures and, uh, it opened up the dialogue in a different way. And we started as uh, we being, you know, other students and friends and, and, and faculty, I felt that the conversation was shifting more to, you know, uh, broader topics of humanity or place or uh, identity in a broader cultural context as opposed to sort of this, who is this person sort of. And I think, you know, in looking back, you know, my interest has kind of always been in um, approaching painting in a more open way and kind of having it be universally uh, accessible. So mm -hmm. I think that in some ways it satisfied that need for me personally. I was able to then open up the work more in a way that anyone can kind of approach the imagery and subject matter and have a way in, you know? Mm -hmm. I think when working with the figure and one reason that I'm still even hesitant to this day to add figures is that once you're, once that's part of the dialogue, you're sort of um, associating with whoever that figure is and sort right. of what that dialogue is with, that you're creating in the in the painting in a and way by leaving the figure out are you are you hoping that it may trigger the the viewer to kind of imagine themselves in right the, that world? right right it's essentially essentially the painting is a is a sort of open narrative in that regard where where one can project themselves in the space versus projecting themselves onto someone else right yeah so and are you trying to be you know evoke those feelings about our relationship with society, with uh, with with machines versus humanity. What 
what are the kinds of emotions that you hope to elicit from people who are interacting with the work? Right. Yeah. I think, I think all those things. And in a way, I think what many artists try to do and what I, I like to think I try to do is sort of make everyday moments or one's surroundings seem more relevant or important to people, you know, yeah. by, by sort of using, um, you know, my surroundings or, uh, things that I see or experience on a day, day to day and sort of reinterpreting them into paintings. I'm hoping to sort of elicit a sort of, um, appreciation or, uh, call of attention to, you know, the beauty of our surroundings. Yeah. I love that. And I think some of the, some of the greatest art is that, right. It's kind of elevating the, the everyday and, and giving people a chance to kind of reconsider, if they're really seeing. Right. Yeah. I think as, you know, artists talk about that a lot as sort of like training, you're training yourself to see the world. And then in a way, hopefully through your work, you're giving others a view into the way you interpret the world. I mean, that's essentially, if you boil it down, that's what a point of view is, I guess. Right. So if you're trying to create a context for your work in a space that allows others to, um, appreciate their own experience more than that's sort of, that's sort of a dialogue right there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the greatest compliments I ever get is somebody's like, Oh, I saw a sunset the other day and I really, you know, and it was just hitting this building in a certain way or, you know, it was a tree coming over this building or something. And it just reminded me of one of your paintings so much. And it's just, it, you know, it's super exciting because a lot of the work that I make is from, you know, the, the resource imagery that I use is from day to day experiences. I, you know, just snapping cell phone shots of, you know, certain plants I see or the landscape the way I see it. And, you know, at some point it might get used for, for something or not. And yeah, um, no, that's exciting because it basically says to you that you, you have triggered the viewer to appreciate and pause. And even if it's connected back to the artwork they saw, uh, that you, that you created they're uh, they're realizing that this moment is, is special. Hey guys, I want to tell you about a really amazing organization called Root Division. Here in San Francisco, they're a visual arts nonprofit and they're celebrating their 15-year anniversary. Root Division supports amazing artists in the Bay Area. They provide them with studio space and give them an opportunity to teach and give back. And on January 13th, here in San Francisco, they're going to be having an event to celebrate that you guys can attend. And if you are not in the Bay Area, check out rootdivision.org and consider giving to the organization. They've really done so much to help artists and the creative community here in San Francisco and the Bay Area at large. Okay, let's get back to the show. So you're originally from New Jersey, Secaucus, Secaucus, right. <laughs> which is where uh, Steam Pipe Alley was from. There, I don't. That might have been before your time, but uh, yeah. Mario Cantone. I'm pretty sure that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. Channel Nine, Secaucus, New Jersey. Yeah. Um. So you're originally from there, and then did you move to Philadelphia? Yeah. So I grew up mostly. So I was, yeah, I was born in Secaucus, New Jersey, and then mostly lived outside of Philadelphia, and then I went to college at Tyler School of Art in Philadelphia, yep. or just on the outskirts of North Philly, really. Yeah, and you studied art there. I studied art there, mostly still at that time, I was focusing a lot on painting, so I was pretty uh, pretty much driven to be focused on painting. Okay, uh, what do you, you mean know, dri- since- driven to be, like personally or by the, the, the powers that... Uh- 
Oh, oh, uh, nothing external. It was yeah, certainly yeah. just something that I was always drawn to. I was pretty involved in painting, um, pretty seriously involved in painting since high school. I would okay. say. Okay. Did think. you did you always have that kind of creative art bug? Like when you were a little kid, was it pretty clear that you were just really good at drawing and and and, and you were kind of always like the art kid in class? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, on and off, right? You know, it's sort of like. Um, like anything, I think when you get positive feedback, you kind of, um, can self-identify as, oh, I'm kind of good at this thing. Right. And then, um, as you get older, you try other things and maybe then you find yourself back to it. And that's kind of how, kind of how it was for me. You know, I got really into skateboarding and playing drums and bands and, um, and I was always into drawing and such. Uh, but I was very lucky to have some teachers in high school that noticed that I was really good at art at a time where I wasn't really thinking about it that much as a, as a skill or a career for yeah. sure. I mean, uh, I certainly wasn't thinking about a career at that point, but I think later in high school, I think already by that point I had realized, um, that it was something I really wanted to do in some regard. I didn't really know what a career in the arts was like, but I knew that I wanted to be involved in it some way. When did, uh, the thought that, Hey, I could actually maybe make this my, path forward come into play was it in college was it after college when was that moment and were you thinking you needed some contingency plan at a oh at yeah a certain point? you need a contingency contingency plan <laughs> to this day i have contingency plans that i that i bust out when needed you know do you have uh, other jobs besides i know you teach right so i get to teach from time to time um i also do some on-call art handling i uh build stretcher bars for other artists sometimes mm -hmm. i uh um what else do i do but you, but you, as an artist, you have to have. Uh, you gotta have yeah. some, yeah. You gotta have some, uh, some backup plans because the it's it's a very touch and go situation on the whole. So at Tyler School, you studied painting, and then did you stay in Philly for for a little while? And I know you worked on some murals there as well. Yeah. So tell me about that time, kind of before you made your way out here to to the San Francisco yeah. Art Institute. Yeah. So basically, once I was, um, well, let me back up. When I was in college at Tyler, I got to spend a year abroad. We were just saying um, in Rome, right? In Rome, yeah. I was studying abroad in Rome and uh, really sort of reconnecting with my uh, Italian roots. So I yeah. was there and yeah. and uh, you know deepening my understanding of the language and traveling quite a bit. Because you're you said your parents uh, were first generation, right? So my parents were born in Italy. I was born here. Yeah. And um, you know it's always been a place of. Uh, close connection you know all my not all almost all my aunts and uncles and cousins are there the rest of them are sort of in new jersey and um spending a year there was a great experience to sort of uh, connect as an independent person as opposed to you know getting dragged along with my parents to right, family right. and such you know it's a different uh, yeah different experience right and and also just to similarly uh, as you were saying you know uh that you, you studied abroad and yeah yep. living with a uh, an Italian family when you're immersed and truly not, you know, most of my Italian family doesn't speak very good English. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I was uh, lucky enough in, at Syracuse. I spent a semester, uh, studying painting and illustration in Florence and yeah, stayed with a family who right. did not speak a word of English and, right. and they were wonderful. And it was one of the best experiences of my life to right. be that, that kind of immersion. Yeah. It's a great yeah. way to learn because you don't have any other way out, you know? Yes. So it's kind of difficult. It's just kind of exhausting, but, yes. uh, but I found it to be really, uh, useful because you know I was studying the language and then would go use the things I was learning 
in in the context of you know with my family for for a few days and the, completely yeah. un- only because then I'd go back to the college and everybody's speaking English pretty much. Sure, sure. But then you know, day to day, you can get around and speak Italian and English. But yeah. Anyway, long story short, I was uh, coming back from that year uh, abroad, and um, I felt like what I could only describe as sort of um, cultural shock. You know. Okay. Um, which was interesting coming back to where you're from and feeling sort of a culture shock. Yeah. But, um, I, it's the reverse of how you'd expect, you'd expect to to come home home. and feel like welcome. But I think I'd really acclimated to the, to the lifestyle, um, living abroad. And, um, there's a really great program in Philadelphia called the Philadelphia Mural Arts Program. And I had been aware of it and, um, looked into it when I got back and realized that I just missed the deadline by like a day or two. Okay. And when I called the organization to say, Hey, is there any chance, uh, you guys would take a application. Like a late application, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'll still remember um, this guy, Brian, who I still keep in touch with a little bit, had said, uh, you know, uh, the guy um, that is doing the review for the internships is waiting on a friend of his uh, application. <laughs> and if you can get it to me like tomorrow, I'll, I'll, I'll get it in front of him. And I spent that night getting my portfolio together, drove it up to Philly the next morning, and then got a call that afternoon uh, from Jason, who's now a friend of mine, um, who I worked with that summer wow. to, to, to say, <laughs> you know what, you got really lucky. I don't know what to say. Like your application was really good and, uh, you should, you should start this internship program. So I got to work with the Philadelphia Mural Arts Program with this guy, wow. Jason Slowick. And, and what's, sorry, what's the name of the program? The, uh, Philadelphia Mural Arts Program. Mural Arts Program. Yeah. Okay. And they're, they're a wonderful organization to get involved in and they do a ton, a ton of, uh, public works as well as educational stuff. Um, and I love the fact that it's a it's a note for listeners. Like if you hear about something and you think <laughs> the window is open even just a crack, you know, if the things do tomorrow and yeah. you're just feeling that like rush of like this feels really right. Yeah. Just go all in. Why not? Just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much the entirety of my career personally, and I'm guessing this is the same for most artists, is 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 knocking on doors essentially. You know, right. you're you're applying right. to things either, you know, cold or you're trying to talk to people whom you kind of know or know a little bit and just seeing if you can get in the door a little. Exactly. So, so you got this internship and so how many murals did you work on over the course of the program? I worked with them for approximately five years um, from my junior year at Tyler um, onward. Um, So I was working with them as a college student and afterwards. And I did maybe about a dozen murals, um, both as a lead artist and assistant artist, as an educator um, and it was really, I talk about it a lot because it was really an education sort of paralleling my undergrad education. It was about five years, roughly what my time at Tyler was. Yeah. And in that time, you know, I learned a lot about murals. I learned a lot about community engagement, a lot about education and all that stuff is sort of really stuck with me, um, both as an artist, but, and also as, you know, someone who still works in education and really, um, is still interested in working in the public art realm. Yeah, that's incredible. And so at what point did you get the itch to uh, get your master's degree in fine arts and make your way to San Francisco Art Institute? Yeah, I think I had this sense that uh, I had to get a master's degree in order to keep up with whatever was happening in the art world. I think I... For teaching, for getting into galleries? What, what? I think for all of it. I mm-hmm. think I had a sense... I had always interested in teaching. I had the sense that you needed an MFA to teach, but I think more so I had the sense that my work was okay and that I wanted it to be better and that I think if I wanted to advance my 
art practice, I needed to get an MFA eventually. So I had been applying, uh, well, I didn't really apply that many times, but I applied two years in a row and mm -hmm. um, had the sense to apply to California schools. I really thought I was going to end up in Los Angeles. I was looking at schools predominantly there. Was there something about the West Coast? Had, had you always thought this is where I want to go. Did you think the art opportunity was better? I mean, I, I grew up on the East Coast too. Uh -huh. I grew up in Rockland County outside right. New York City. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And uh, there's a strong pull over there. Yeah. It's hard sometimes to, to get away. Yeah, I think it's funny because I, when I look back, I think I was completely ignorant to what life was like here. I don't think I knew very much about San Francisco or California in general. Um, and I think I just had a sense kind of relating to my experience living abroad that that time being far from home was very instructional in a way and very sort of uh, um, very much opened up uh, an opportunity in me that was different than what I was experiencing at home yeah. in some way. I don't know. I couldn't really put words on it. Yeah. I mean, I think it can sometimes hypercharge growth and learning right. and kind of expansion in lots of different ways to completely change your, your surroundings. Right. Yeah. yeah it definitely I, activates the brain. Yeah. I think I had a sense that moving far away would probably be good for my growth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I thought, um, that, looking into schools in California would be a smart thing to do. I looked a lot into schools in Los Angeles, as I mentioned, and then uh, a good friend of mine uh, had already moved out here and it did put sort of San Francisco on the map. Actually, when I think about it too, there was a, um, a sort of portfolio review type thing in New York that I went to and met a rep from SFAI where I ended up going, who was uh, very open, at least, you know, not, glowing about my work or anything, but just said, could say, could tell that I was, you know, serious and gave me the name of a couple professors to write to. And one of them was uh, sort of a legend in the area is Carlos Villa, who was a San Francisco sort of um, legendary artist. And, yeah. um, you know, I never, I didn't really get to work with him very much, but he was really instructional in that when I reached out to him, he wrote, he wrote back and yeah. was very sort of insightful and positive and warm as a, as he was as a person, he's since passed away. Um, but my interactions with him, I think had a lot to do with me choosing to come out to San Francisco. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing how sometimes just little gestures from people, mm -hmm. um, can make such a big difference on, on people as they're trying to figure out their, their ways to go. And we've connected through Root Division, right. which is a visual arts nonprofit here in San Francisco. And I interviewed Michelle Mansoor, mm -hmm. who's the the director over there, and she introduced us. And I know that you spent some really formative time over there. So yeah. tell me a little bit about your work at Root Division and also how it kind of helped impact your your career, not only the work, but also your your kind of trajectory as an artist. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, Root Division was really like an extension of my grad school education at SFAI. It was so SFAI centric in the community in a way. I mean, there was definitely people there from Mills and CCA and other uh, art institutions that were getting studios there and part of the programming. Um, but it felt like a really great community to come into out of grad school. And I think it really helped stabilize me and my practice in a way. Also, because it's so expensive here in terms of you're getting, uh, you know, whatever room share cruddy apartment situation <laughs> right. you're in. And then you're trying to pay for a studio on top of that. Meanwhile, you know, you're trying to make art and make a living somehow, um, you know, all at the same time. 
And so to have Root Division as a sort of support system coming out of grad school, it really helped ease the burden on some of those things and really created a, uh, a great community that, uh, that, you know, is still, you know, um, um, a part of, uh, I'm still part of that community today. So. Yeah. And so you had a, a studio space and then you also, did you also teach there? Yeah. So I was able to teach with them. I had a studio space with them. Um, I exhibited with them. I curated shows there and it was really a great place for me to get my bearings, uh, both in my studio practice and also to, you know, make some money teaching and uh, doing whatever else I could to kind of keep afloat here and to have a sort of subsidized studio rate so that I was able to develop my work. Um, I think if I had had a regular studio, you know, um, non-subsidized rate, I, you know, it, I might have gotten run out of town a lot sooner or something. Right. So it really helped me kind of stay in San Francisco and sort of connect with the community. You know, in my first uh, exhibition um, in San Francisco, my first solo exhibition, it was at Eleanor Harwood Gallery. Okay. And came through um, a friend of mine, Adam Friedman, who's since moved to Portland, and he uh, needed someone for a two-person show to um, pair up with. And uh, he was an SFAI grad. He was at Root Division at the same time. And so, you know, in a lot of ways, like my first show came out of him introducing me to Eleanor and Eleanor gave me an opportunity. And, wow. And, and that think, came through the Root Division right. community. And right. so that was that kind of your first, you know, bigger break into the gallery world? Yeah, post, that was my first solo yeah. show uh, out of grad school. And, and since then, I've kind of continued to show with, with uh, different spaces and in the city. I currently show with uh, Raina Branson Gallery in, in San Francisco. What's been one of the most surprising parts of living your life as an artist now. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I might have to ponder that a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, as you started to approach this career in art and, right. you know, you certainly, it's been going on for a while now and you warmed up and ramped up in high school and college and graduate yeah. school. I've been doing what, it a while. <laughs> yeah, you have been doing it a while. I guess, what was your expectation going into it and what do you, yeah. you know, maybe what, what do you hope to... I think it, achieve. Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways I've come into this both sort of blissfully ignorant of the realities, but also sort of like narrowly focused on the goal of just doing it. And in a way, I don't know um, how much you can prepare yourself for where things go as much as it's as important to just be flexible. You know, I think when you you have a goal of just creating a life as an artist, sort of, if you're still doing it, you've sort of reached the goal. So it's kind of hard to remember that sometimes because it you can think about um, what you've achieved and what you want to achieve. You know, there's always... Uh, the moment know, behind you, the moment yeah, in front of you. Yeah, and, and, and if you're honest with yourself, dealing with your own sort of jealousies of other friends, getting certain things you know, then sometimes you got to realize like, you know, other people might be feeling that way about me, you know, and that's, and that's really, um, just sort of part of the way things go. You know, there's so many, there's so many avenues for artists. And I think everybody who's, um, I've kind of come up with in my sort of circle of friends and, and artists, the people who are doing it are all, you know, winners by my, you know, uh, by my count. You yeah. Know? They're, they're doing it. They're so, doing it. So right. just by doing it, you kind of, you've kind of won. Yeah. Now, you know, with that said, do I want to do more and want to get somewhere higher and better? Yeah. I think that's sort of tied in with 
both my studio practice. Like I feel like maybe to answer your question, what's the most surprising is that I still don't feel super fulfilled by where I am in some ways, not necessarily about the broader career aspects of things. Of course, there's always going to be that. Everyone wants to sort of make more money and have a cushier lifestyle in some ways. Um, and that is of course tied in with sort of like how much you're selling or how much your work is getting put out there or people are enjoying it. So there's, there's sort of that, um, commercial aspect to what you're, you know, you're making things and hopefully people will buy them, you know, and that, that money will keep you going and able to make more of them, you know? Yeah. But I think there's also just, there's this old, there's this sort of continual drive to just strive for something new, you know, like I think there's maybe a sense that internally there's never really, I think I always kind of knew this, but it has, but when I do think about how long I've been making art, um, there isn't really an end point in which it feels like super satisfying. And I think that making, with the work itself, sure. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's with the work itself. And then also I think with that comes the, all the sort of broader career stuff, you know, right. where, you, where you're thinking about, um, where you want to be showing in five years or something like that, right, or, right, right. you know, that kind of, that kind of broader goal oriented stuff, which is sort of a different mindset, but sort of when you're just making the work and trying to, trying to make your impact in terms of, um, what kind of work you're making. Yeah. In some ways, it's just kind of about making peace with that gray area of like, is this the is this the sort of best representation of my of my practice, you know, right. to date? And am I pushing myself? And am I getting bigger and better? Or well, exactly, right. So you know, there may be this drive just to make the work because it's it's inside you, and you have a you know you have a vision to communicate. But that friction that you were just talking about yeah. might also be kind of lighting the spark, right? To oh, keep sure. going. It's like a feedback loop. I think right. all of it is, you know, you make work and you put it out in the world and you want to connect to people, right? That's sort of the goal to my mind is sort of when you're making something, if it doesn't get in front of other people, then you haven't really created that feedback loop, right? Right. right. And, you know, you can't, I don't, I'm not of the mind that I'm making work for myself and this is really all about me in some ways. I mean, to me, it's too navel gazy, you know, it's just like, if you're making work to touch people and hopefully make a connection and make people interested in the way you're doing things in the way you see the world and hopefully have a dialogue and sort of, you know, I'm trying to have a dialogue with people in my work and I'm hoping that the things I do in my work and the things that I paint or draw connect to people and find ways that they can connect to the world outside themselves in a new way. You know, a huge chunk of just being an artist or a creative person in general it's just the drive to keep, you know, looking under each rock and finding something new or just having to see over that hill and see what's on the other side. You know, it's like um, both really exciting and scary. And um, if you have that drive and you really want to, you know, keep keep that marathon going, then you got to do it. And then just try and figure out how to get over each hurdle. You know, the reality of day-to-day life can kind of bog you down, but if you can somehow figure out a way to deal with those in an efficient way, um, then it becomes more manageable and you can kind of focus on your work. I mean, I struggle with that every day, but it's something that um, I realize is important if I'm going to keep making my work. You know, I, I think my biggest moments of sort of dealing with being, you know, bummed out or um, self-doubting my, you know, my work and my lifestyle and what have you um, you know, it comes with when I feel the most threatened in my practice. If I feel like 
oh, I'm not going to make it next through these next six months. Um, you know, I've been wasting my past <laughs> eight years of my life or 20 years almost <laughs> of painting, you know, or making art. Um, and then something good will come, you know, and you'll keep, it'll, it'll, you know, float you right back up to the surface and keep you going. I think there's, you know, that you kind of live for those moments and, yeah, you know, luckily I'm in a, I feel in a really good place right now, um, in terms of having opportunities and, uh, I feel pretty excited about the work I'm making. So that stuff goes, you know, goes the distance, you know, if you could, if you feel good about what you're making and you're kind of keeping afloat, takes care of all the other anxieties, you know? Yeah. I love that. And, uh, I'm so happy you're, you're getting those moments and <laughs> I, and I, uh, wish for you lots more of them oh, in the future. And, uh, Rob, it's been wonderful talking to you and, and meeting you and, uh, wishing you continued success. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. That was my conversation with Robert Minervini or Rob, as he is more commonly known, You've got to check out Robert's work, and you can do that on robertminervini.com. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-M-I-N-E-R-V-I-N-I.com. And of course, you can go to makingways.co, our website for the podcast, where you can get show notes, learn more about Robert, and see my original illustration for Robert as well. And check out Root Division. That's the visual arts nonprofit that Robert was talking about. You can attend their January 13th celebration for their 15-year anniversary. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix, too. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.